0: Welcome to Flight Safety Detectives. Here hosts John Golia and Greg Fife, two of the world's most respected aviation experts, talk about all things aviation safety. This podcast is brought to you by PAMA, the Professional Aviation Maintenance Association, and Avemco Insurance, a world-class provider of aviation insurance. Get a customized quote at avemco.com or give them a call at 888-241-7891. Now it's time to buckle up because it's Wheels Up on the latest episode of Flight Safety Detectives.
1: Well, hello, my friend. It's another episode of Flight Safety Detectives. Um, We are coming off of a holiday weekend, and as you can see from my background, I am not in my office. In fact, I was out in the woods for uh, five days chasing Bambi and Yogi. They seem to be able to elude me this year, which really didn't
2: make me happy, John. <laughs> well, I was up in Western Massachusetts, and I saw a whole bunch of them. Yeah, well, why didn't you call
1: me? Because I would have definitely had a lot better luck up there. I mean, I think all uh, well, the buck this year up in Pennsylvania decided to go to Vegas. Because uh, <laughs> there were a lot of doe. There
2: just wasn't a lot of buck. Yeah, it's, it's funny how they can uh, manage to disappear, isn't it? Oh, they evaporated, trust me. And I sat out there and,
1: you know, it snowed up in, uh, in PA. It was cold. So, of course, they bed down and don't move during the day to conserve energy. And, of course, uh, we're not allowed to hunt at night. So, uh, you know, makes a sport out of it for sure.
2: So, so how you doing? How was the holiday weekend? And everything was fine with me. I enjoyed my family for Thanksgiving. And then I uh, just sort of didn't do much. Uh, yeah, bounced around a little bit when i should have stayed home fixing my computer but i just didn't feel like it well you know holiday
1: weekends are always a concern for you and me um because the accident rate tends to go up over a holiday weekend whether people are traveling to go visit loved ones or they just figure on a long weekend they're gonna go fly around the local area and sightsee with friends and, and family and that kind of stuff and we had a number of accidents and uh I know that our, our sponsor of BEMCO Insurance, I hope they weren't busy, but.
2: Yeah, I think that's uh, probably true because they do insure the, the majority of general aviation aircraft. And they, we've had a busy, busy tail end of this year with accidents. And uh, I just, uh, it just is, doesn't seem any rhyme or reason to them what's going on. And when you read the preliminary reports, uh, I mean, they're really not shedding a lot of light. There's no, there's a very spotty educational value for anybody that wants to read them and try to get something out of it to improve themselves or uh, improve, you know, discuss in the hang of flying sessions. There's just not enough really good information in a lot of those initial reports. And of course, last yeah, year, we lost the whole damn year with yeah. nobody going out for, for uh, uh, unseen investigations from the NTSB. So we're going to have a lot of accidents that are probably going to yield very little meaningful data for the accident rate. So so our sponsor, Vemco, who is the premier insurance company for general aviation accidents, uh, is going to have uh, uh, they're hands full with some of this stuff.
1: Well, if uh, you don't want to have an accident and uh, you don't think that uh, you qualify for an accident, then definitely give Avemco a call <laughs> <laughs> because they want to insure you. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, uh, I mean, I'm impressed. And I, I've said this over and over. I'm impressed with Avemco the and their people and what they do. And the discussions that I heard what they had with uh, out at Oshkosh with people flying, uh, they are there to help inform the pilots. That that was clear. That one thing that came through loud and clear out in Oshkosh is, uh, you know, and I think I said this previously on the podcast, but this staff runs through flight simulators that they own a simulator in their own building. So they go up and they fly uh, in the simulator uh, routinely. And uh, you know, not a lot of insurance agents do that around the country. So they're just good people. So if you need insurance, either hull insurance, liability insurance on your GA aircraft, if you're a flight instructor and need uh, insurance, you know, and the big one today that seems to be growing today is rental insurance on, yep. you know, if you're using a, a club airplane or if you're renting one, uh, a lot of the businesses are not carrying the sky high limits that they used to because of the cost. And, you know, you may not have the coverage you think you have when you rent an airplane. Yeah. So Absolutely. if you rent an airplane to build time, you should look at Avemco's renter uh, rent policy to protect yourself, your family. Yep.
1: And, uh, and as you and I talked on a previous show, um, I've read more about the, uh, the uh, pilots that are age 70 and up that are just up in arms right now because they can't seem to get insurance, or if they do, it's sky high. And they're feeling that um, they're being discriminated against. They uh, they say that they can hold the medical um, as long as they stay proficient and they meet all of the uh, federal aviation requirements. Um, They're concerned with the fact that they're having a hard time getting insurance. And, uh, and I think that that's one part of the industry, you know, looking at, well, how far does that risk go up? And is it really exponential given someone's age? And uh, and, and I know that you and I have talked to a VEMPO about it briefly. So if you are in that uh, fourth quarter, if you will, uh, in the age bracket, then uh, definitely give a VEMPO a call and talk to them. And see what they can do for you because I know that uh, they were receptive to us at least bringing that issue up, and they said, "Absolutely, we'll we'll talk to them for sure." Um, you know, we don't guarantee anything, just like any other insurance company, but uh, it's definitely worth a phone call. And, um, and look, you know, uh, you know, as long as you have good health and you maintain your currency and proficiency, and, and you meet all the regulations, age is just a number because we've seen a lot of accidents and serious incidents with, uh, with folks that are in the age bracket of 17 up. So, you know, 70 is just a number. And I know a lot of folks uh, that you know, still want to fly and can fly very well, and uh, they are at that 70 mark and older, but uh, they're sharp as a tack, and they, they, they fly on a very regular basis. And I think, you know, that in and of itself because they they don't have a lot of the, the stressors. A lot of these guys that I know are retired, so they can focus on their flying. They enjoy their flying. They they pay particular attention to the details, like you always talk about, John, with uh, with pre-flight planning and of course the pre-flight exercise on the airplane. So you know I I think that uh, there may be some legitimate fees. Now everybody has a medical issue in some way, shape, or form, and it's not just you hit that magic number of 70, all of a sudden, you know, you're just a walking time bomb for medical issues because, uh, again, uh, these medical issues, no matter what they are, can, uh, can show up you know, from the time you start flying at 17, you know, on up. So, um, I think that, uh, and, and again, fortunately, I'm not close to that magic number yet. But, John, you'll get dew you and dirt. I mean, come on. That I think you're well over that number. <laughs> That's
2: what I said. I made aviation safer when I stopped flying.
1: Yeah, but but the sad thing is, is that while we're talking about that, um, this was a holiday weekend. I was in Pennsylvania, and uh, not too far from where I was, there was a Cessna 210 that crashed at the end of that ended up being a fatal accident. Uh, there was another Mooney accident that, uh, that I caught wind but There was a Cessna 310 accident. You know, there were so many fatal accidents. And we see that escalation during these holidays. And I know from COVID last year, you and I talked about the fact that, um, you know, people are now getting back out. You're always preaching it on this show. And, um, and people want to go visit relatives. But that window is real short. You know, they have to be here and they have to get home because they have to go back to work or whatever. And there's a lot of self-induced pressure put on these folks to accomplish the mission, even if the mission shouldn't be flown because of weather or, you know, just, you know, physiological things like fatigue. You're not feeling well. You're kind of sick, um, but you're trying to please yourself and the family because, uh, you know, you, you planned this trip. You haven't seen your relatives because of COVID. This is an opportunity, but uh, a number of these accidents, it's obvious that uh, these folks shouldn't have been flying, not in the conditions they were flying.
2: You know, got to push it. Got to get there. Got to get there. You know, get it in itis. We're going to get this airplane in, you know, in spite of the weather. You know, when the time of the year, we got a lot of icing going on today. How many people have refreshed themselves with their airplane and icing and and what they need to do. You know, if you start building ice, do you climb your way out of it? Do you jack the speed up a little bit? Do you try to shed it? I mean, there's lots of of tools that you can use, uh, but you gotta understand them. And you need to definitely not let your airplane get iced up and heavy because then you're not gonna fly.
1: And you just brought up a good point, John, um, with regard to determining you know, the, the natural logical progression, if you pick up ice is you're going down. And, and if you go down, you know, is the temperature actually going to be warmer and start shedding that ice? Well, in a lot of cases, um, you know, climbing is the, is the better option. And that's why it's so important that when you do your pre-flight planning, especially of the weather, that you're looking at freeze levels. You're looking at inversions, temperature inversions and things like that in the areas that you're going to be flying in. Because, you know, yeah, you may not be able to climb like a bat out of hell to get out of the icing, but if you can you know, uh, get a, a rate of at least 100 or 200 feet per minute and milk the, the airplane up out of those conditions into a, a warmer air mass above the clouds or whatever, you know, that may be the reasonable option. The other thing is, of course, along your route of flight, you should be looking for plan B and plan C. If you get into icing conditions and you need to get the airplane down and you need to put it on the ground, you better have a suitable airport close by or at least, you know, along your route of flight. And a lot of times, you know, if you know you're going to have icing or the potential for icing, even if your airplane is uh, FICI or that is it's certified for flight into known icing, maybe you change your flight instead of going, you know, point to point direct. Um, you zigzag a little bit, it's, you know, only going to add 10, 15, maybe 20 minutes, but maybe you want to you know, flight plan a route that puts you in close proximity to a uh, decent airports. that if you have to put the airplane down, you can bail out relatively
2: easy. You know, and that's something I'm not hearing at the FBO. You know, we've got, we've had all kinds of crazy weather up here in New England and it was spotty you know it was snowing in western mass and and over towards albany uh but it was sunny here in the eastern side of the state right and then then it sort of changed just the opposite so the the weather's crazy but i'm listening to guys in the fbo talking about going flying and i still hear too many of them talking about the weather destination and not not saying a word about what's in the middle yeah i mean it's weather in route is is uh, very important you know in fact most of the time it's more important than, than what you're getting at the you say that that is a very very valid point John it's the stuff in the middle, not point pointed not at each end yeah a lot of airplanes have gone down because of the middle what's in the middle yeah including mountains flying into them into clouds and you know it's just aviation is risky and you want to lower your risk and you do that by going by the numbers, yep. pre-plan your flight, all right? When you get to the airport, you do it all again, essentially, because you should be looking at it before you leave your house. What's
1: And, the- and I was just going to say the time, you, you know, you don't want to be trying to read, you know, uh, METARs and TAPs and everything else in route, you know, for all sorts of destinations. I mean, you, you want to pre-plan, you want to plan that route but you, know, you want to have suitable places to bail out to, that's the METAR that you want to monitor, that's the TAP you want to monitor. Um, and, and if you pull up their, uh, their local AWAS or ASOS information and monitor it as you're progressing, those are the ways to, to stay informed. But to wait until that happens, because you chose not to do it, you wanted to get off the ground, you're in a hurry, Um, and now all of a sudden you're fumbling around with an iPad while the airplane's trying to fly somewhere, even if you got all the whiz-bang stuff sitting in the front end, that airplane still expects you to be the piloting man and point it in the direction it's supposed to go, and um, and a lot of times, and I'm seeing this more and more, John, and it's a concern to me, I've got a number of accidents, and you and I have talked about a number of these accidents where (laughs) The pilot, you know, they have no business really being in the automated airplane they're in, but they know enough to be dangerous, be able to program it, get the airplane in the air, turn on the autopilot and let the autopilot, let all that automation take over and fly the airplane for them. And again, that airplane is an inanimate object. It has no brain. It's depending on you, the pilot, to tell it what to do and when to do it. And so, you know, that's a huge, huge issue that uh, as we get into this, uh, deeper into this winter season, I'm afraid we're going to see more and more of these types of accidents.
2: You know what I haven't, I haven't heard anything of, and I know it's out there, is running out of gas. You know, I, uh, because these, uh, the NTSP hasn't been out there doing uh, as many accidents as they have in the past, uh, we just don't see any written record about these airplanes running out of gas. But you know is a percentage of these have to be in that, that uh, area. So, yeah. you know, I, I, I think <laughs> I have enough fuel is not the right thing to say. <laughs>
1: yeah, the little engine that could, you know. Yeah. Um, but again, if this lag in being able to pull up information on these accidents that we know about You know, it's taken five to 10 days before we actually get something. And like you said at the top of the show, the problem is is that they don't have a lot of depth of detail. Now, whether that's intentional, I've seen a lot of good prelims come out of the board. You got some good investigators who darn near have written the entire factual report in the preliminary report. Um, And those are great because like you said, those are tools that we can use now. Those are those are elements that as a flight instructor or just a pilot to another pilot relating an accident, you go, yeah, you know, the board has said that they didn't find this, they found this, they got an issue with this, and there's no evidence that the pilot may have done this or whatever. That's better served to the, to the aviation community now rather than 18 months from now, two years from now, three years from now, because it's all long forgotten and
2: nobody cares. Yeah. How true. Yeah. You know, in an in accident investigation, I long believe you have a communications moment and that's when you have people's attentions in the beginning, uh, you know, a window of time after the accident, people are interested in hearing what goes on. You wait yeah. two years, like the, the, the board just stretched out, uh, from one year to two years when they have to get their reports out, which yeah. I, I, I just, I'm lost for words to even talk they about. Just
1: published, they just published a Beach Duke accident that I'm aware of, that I'm familiar with because it happened out in California. They just published that accident and it's well over two years now. And again, you know, what else was going on? They aren't doing as many accidents um, as they have in the past. They're operating with a $120 million budget, so it sure isn't budget concerns. And these people are working out of their houses. Um, they don't spend a lot of time at the accident site. They show up or they delegate to the FAA and um, and then do the follow-up. So I'm not really sure why it's taking so long. Oh, well, I know why. I shouldn't even say that. I know why. It's called procrastination. Everybody loves to go out on the road and pick 10. The worst part of accident investigation for a lot of these folks, especially those that can't write, is writing
2: the report. Yes. In fact, I I started down a path for some future shows of ours to, to talk about each segment of the accident investigation. So when the bell goes off, we've talked about that a little bit. You have to be at the airport. You know, if it's a big airplane accident, you have to be at Washington National within four hours. And so on and so on, uh, but I, I started to script out and script too strong a word, just sort of thoughts process uh, of what goes on, you know, you've gotta be at the airport to go. Well, what does that mean to each one of the investigators? Yeah. You know, your suitcase, you, you know, you got lots of things to do. So I was gonna, I was trying to do a, a detail meat on the bones uh, life of an investigator that goes on crashes and I, and I want to uh, walk through the whole thing and i want to uh, I want to touch on the emotional side of it too, because people think investigators you know we 're all supermen and all the rest of it. well you know you can only pick up broken airplanes, most of us love airplanes when you see an airplane broken it 's painful, but when you have to pick up broken people and be around broken people and find pieces. Uh, that were missed by the coroner uh, it eats at each section. Well, I was just in Pennsylvania with a, a
1: group of friends that uh, um, they asked me that question How do I do my job? Not so much the picking of the tin parts, but how do I handle the worst side of aviation? That is the blood and the guts, and the victims and the families, and, and all of that kind of stuff. And it is, it, it does take an emotional toll And in fact, while I was at the agency, um, we started having um, more of an awareness about the psychological impact, the, uh, the PTS, uh, you know, the post-traumatic syndromes that, uh, that were happening with investigators. They ended up creating an, a, an employee assistance program that uh, afforded an investigator the opportunity. And I remember um, value jet was a real trigger for a lot of people and um and so that came about now how i handle it versus the way you handle it or someone else handles it we deal with it internally you know people go man you're callous you're cold you don't have a heart you don't have any emotions you don't do this you don't know what i do in the dark of the night when i'm by myself when i'm in front of that camera i cannot be sobbing i cannot be crying and talking about how devastated. You know, it was for me to see, because you can't do your job if you have that emotional attachment. And and again, they are all tragic when there are victims, whether it's a fatal accident or a serious injury or anything like that. The fact is, is that in order for an investigator to do their job and do it well, they must not emotionally get attached, but they must be thorough and methodical. You cannot just go to obvious cause. You cannot just light it off. Well, the airplane hit a power line. I don't care about that. That is the, I mean, that's the worst kind of probable cause I read all the time. Loss of control for unknown reasons. Trust me, there's a reason that pilot lost control. You just got to do your job as an investigator to try and figure it out. You may not get there a hundred percent, but there are a lot of circumstances That that could be factually supported. That's called accurate thinking. And the problem is we have an investigative community in the government side uh, that I question because their thinking is not accurate. And you and I are working a number of cases where it's very obvious that it is not accurate thinking. It's the big red easy button, come to the obvious cause, write it up, move it off your desk and move on. And that's a travesty to the agency. And I know that uh, we're going to talk you're going to read some emails and somebody just actually
2: mentioned that. Well, I, let's go right into that. All right, so there's a young lady named Patty. She says, Greg's all fired up. Great show. <laughs> so you're already spotting down that path again right now.
1: Yeah, well, I get a little fired up because it, John, I mean, I owe, I owe my career to Embry-Riddle for putting me in a position to be able to get the job with the NTSB. Um, I owe my NTSB uh, career to a guy named Bill Lamb, who took a chance on a 21-year-old not nosed kid coming out of college um, into a very stoic agency. And I took that very respectfully with a lot of pride because I was working in an agency where as one investigator told me on multiple occasions, and I respected him immensely, and that was, son, I've been flying longer than you've been alive. You don't, you don't know as much as I've forgotten. And that kind of stuff starts to sink in, John. And I dedicated, and I still do, I give 150% to every accident I work. And, and why do you think I'm very critical? Because you and I have found shortcomings in these investigations done by others who have that same responsibility, but have shorted the investigation, and the good stuff has been left on the table not to benefit the aviation community. And I get fired up over it every single week when you and I dissect accidents, and there are a lot of issues that were not developed.
2: You know, I I recently had a discussion with a couple of corporate pilots who uh, frequently fly to Europe. In fact, that's one of their main runs out of of here in New England. And uh, we had a discussion about uh, the BEA in France and the AAIB in Britain. And I passed a comment that those folks do excellent investigations, very detailed. They dig in deep and they actually dig in very deep on general aviation accidents, deep, far deeper than we do. And we had a long discussion about that and uh, they were pushing back quite a bit about the NTSB being the best in the world. And I'm saying, you know what? The NTSB is just one organization with the rest of the world. And yeah. some guys do an excellent job and some guys don't do the best job that they could do. And uh, so we, we had to leave it with, we don't agree, but the, it was starting to warm up a little bit. But we got an, an interesting comment from a, a, a Robert. And uh, he said, you guys are dinosaurs. Well, I think he's partially true. Now yeah, we are dinosaurs. No, Do no, no no,
1: no, no, no. Do not lump me into dinosaur. Like I said, you're as old as dirt. And there's a lot of stuff in that dirt that came from dinosaurs. I'm not that old, John.
2: <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I'm not gonna say how old you are, but I know how old you are. You're not <laughs> you're not that 21-year-old young chicken anymore. Yeah, well you're a tough old turkey. <laughs> there you go. Okay, I'll I'll take that. Yeah. Because you know what?
1: Us old guys, us dinosaurs, we have a lot of corporate history. We have a lot of corporate knowledge. We are wise beyond our years. And given what's going on in today's world with the aviation, aviation safety acts investigation, I'd rather be me than a new investigator right now who's not doing anything. Yeah,
2: well, it's interesting this comment that this uh Robert put forward because after he calls us dinosaurs of the NTSB, then he goes on to agree with one so, so much of what we said. Now they don't even show up at halftime, up, show up at halftime, all right? They're glorified bean counters. And the mental, mentality now is just, people are just beans. Right? It's a little bit disconnected here. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, it sounds, like, it sounds like he's agreeing the fact that
1: they don't show up for accidents, which we have criticized. They are just bean counters. They really don't get to it. And you and I have talked about how phony statistics could be, especially if you don't do a thorough and methodical investigation. And, and again, I mean, if you're not going to put 150% effort into every single investigation so that you can get to the root cause and you can have accurate statistics that we in the industry can use and rely upon, then don't leave the office.
2: Yep, well... And that might be part of the problem. You know, like you said, they have the budget, but you hear them a lot of times they complain about there's no resources to do the job. But you know what? That may be because the, the head of you know accident investigation is the one who doles out the resources to the investigators. So there may be something in that that choke point, if you will, between the money that Congress gives the NTSB, that pot of gold up there. And then it flows down through the division heads, and maybe it's being allocated off with, a, with an eyedropper and pushing uh, these people. I think if you took the number of investigators now and the, and the number of accidents that are in work, and you, know, you know, give that credit in quotations, uh, <laughs> they probably got uh, 40 or 50 accidents per person because-
1: That's nothing- when I first started with the agency, all of us were working well over 100 accidents.
2: Yeah, there's, there's a lot. I mean, you get oh you get 20 and you have too many. And uh, so they, he, they obviously have too many. Yeah. But, and maybe that's why they stretched it out to two years, but they're not doing anybody a service. And, in fact, what the hell, I was talking to a... Oh, I know what it was. I can't say who it was. Uh, but But recently... The NTSB showed up and did two of last year's accidents, the, the uh, wreckage inspections on two airplanes in less than four hours. You can't do that. Yeah, but, well, they did it. It is such a disservice
1: to the families and the victims um, and, and, of course, the aviation community because you cannot go out there, examine wreckage, with the thought of, I just got to get through this to fill the square so I can move on to this other wreckage and get it all done in an eight hour day so that I don't have to charge overtime or have to come back here. I mean, again, that's why I have a job in my afterlife. And a lot of times I end up cleaning up someone else's mess because they failed to do a thorough and methodical investigation. And there is, I mean, you and I have talked about it. We've dissected accidents and we've brought up issues with these accidents that were never examined that we believed were critical, not only to flight safety, but of course, to a proper probable cause. And, uh, and you know, I know that we're getting emails from, uh, from our listeners and viewers that tend to agree. Um, you know, some of course don't always agree with us and that's fine. I mean, I don't expect everybody to agree with us, but again, they're coming from a different perspective. You and I've been there. We've been behind the curtain. We know what the wizard looks like. And, uh, and, and so, um, you know, when it comes to us being critical of the organization, there are a lot of people at the NTSB that have no use for me. That's fine. I don't care. I just wish they would do their job all the way to the board members. They, they sure shoot off their mouth a lot, um, but I don't see a hell of a lot of action. And again, this is all about saving lives. And I want them, and here's a challenge to them. I would love to see them publish something that says what and how many safety recommendations that have targeted general aviation aircraft have they put out in the last 20 years and where have they gone? And what did they affect? And how did they improve aviation safety?
2: Yeah. Yeah, you good luck seeing that. <laughs> yep. Well, yeah. I already really I just like to know. I'd like to know how many uh requests for reconsideration they have and how aged they are. Yeah. I asked that question when I was a board member and I never got a good answer. They put me off for months. And yeah. then we finally did, uh, I found out afterwards that they went on a massive clean them out campaign, answered them all. Uh, I never did get an aging report. Yeah,
1: uh, well, we got a number of other emails. Uh, um, uh, some of you may have noticed that we're, uh, we're beta testing a new opening. Um, we have a uh, more pleasant voice than John and I when it comes to introducing the show. We're still working on that. We're, uh, we're overlaying, we're picking some music now. We're going to have actually a number of different openings and closings. And to relieve my partner of having to try and memorize a Vemco's phone number, which he seems to forget to write on his computer every once in a while. Um, I memorize it. 888-879-0389.
2: If you need insurance, call a Vemco. 888 888- Eight seven nine oh three eight
1: nine. Yeah, now that you got to memorize, we're going to have someone else do the commercial for
2: us. <laughs> That's right. Then they won't forget to say it. That's
1: right. So uh, yeah, we we are testing a new one. We know that uh, a number of you have given us positive feedback, which is good. Um, we had uh, recorded that an original opening when we got the show started, but we're trying to take this take this show not only on the road, but at least to another level. So uh, we're working on that. We are going to get back into a number of hard-hitting type accident uh, dissections all the way across the board from the smallest general aviation accident, again, up through uh, the big aircraft accidents. Um, There have been a a number of, uh, actually, there have been a number of uh, large accidents in the recent past where the reports are now starting to come out. So we're, John and I are going to be looking at that to see if, in fact, they did a thorough and methodical investigation uh, around the world of these accidents. Because, again, John and I are blessed with, uh, with having connections uh, worldwide that uh, we may know some backstory on these particular accidents that didn't necessarily show up in the front side of that report. So, uh, of course, we're going to be doing that. We love the emails, um, a, a number of uh, folks have, uh, have come back and really appreciated uh, the show that we did about uh, general aviation icing. And uh, the fact that, yeah, this is a good trigger. It's a good, you know, man, I, I remember talking about that or I remember learning about that and it's worked out well as a refresher. And that's all we're trying to do. I'm working two accidents right now involving jets where the pre-flight activities were improper and ended up resulting in damage to both aircraft, uh, which are scrapped. Fortunately, nobody got hurt, but the end, uh, the airplanes were scrapped. And it was all because of what John keeps preaching, do a thorough pre-flight. So, um, you know, with all of that coming up, um, you know, we're we're cocked and loaded. We're gonna finish off the year strong and then uh, begin 2022 with uh with some good shows so you got any more emails john i know that uh, we've been rifling through it and i didn't have internet connection sitting in a tree stand well
2: one of the things that we've gotten our emails has been that the show runs too long and they'd like to see it like 25 minutes and we're, we're well past that now Okay, so, then I'm going to shut up. So get us out of this. I'm going to leave you with the last word. So <laughs> a co- quickly, a couple things. One is after the first of the year, you're probably going to see us with a different venue. Still going to be YouTube, but it's going to be an expanded venue. And I'll tease them and saying it's going to be live. Good. All right. And that's all I'll say on that right now. But we're going to, this program is going live. And and now we get out of this, all right? I want to remind everybody that this program has been brought to you by Avemco Insurance. And if you need liability insurance, power loss insurance, renter's insurance, which you, if you're a student pilot, you should really think about, and CFI insurance or any kind of general aviation insurance, give Avemco a call, 888-879-0389. Evemco.com, good people. They love to talk aviation. Give them a call. And with that, I will give my last word. As always, when you're going to go flying, please, please, please pre plan before you leave your house. And do it again when you get at the airport. Look at the weather, not only. Point A and B, look at everything in between. All right, It's just frustrating for us to see these accidents that happen over and over for stupid reasons. Let's make them a real accident, not, not an accident that we hope would have happened.
1: John, I don't want them to be a real accident. I'm waiting for people to put us out of business.
2: I love that. I would be, love to be just out of going around to the accident scenes and, and well, we'll talk about that stuff another time. All right, so please. And if you do go flying, make sure you do a damn good pre-flight. I'm still working on what makes a good pre-flight. Good. Unfortunately, every time I talk to either a pilot or a mechanic, the list gets longer on what makes it. So the boil down is going to be interesting. Yeah. And if you do fly, Please fly safely.
0: To listen to more episodes of this show, go to flightsafetydetectives.com or your favorite place to listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and remember to fly safe.